Uh, let somebody know Jesus loves them and give them some encouragement this morning. Uh, we're doing a series called Virtue Us, and the idea behind the series is learning principles that enable creating an ecosystem within our lives that enable the kingdom to come forward. And it's a really important thing to understand because God, God wants... The Lord wants to do something in our life. He wants to fulfill his word to us. He wants to manifest or make known his kingdom to us. But a lot of times there are things in our lives that, that prevent those things from happening. And so virtues are rhythms or uh, sort of uh, attitudes or atmospheres and actions within our own lives that go beyond faith. Uh, Peter said, add to your faith virtue. So sometimes faith needs something attached to it in order for that to happen. And so what are some of the virtues? One of the virtues is honor. Another one is courage. Uh, wisdom would be another virtue. And today we're going to talk about a really powerful one, especially on Father's Day, self-control. All right? So um, <laughs> we're going to look at the poster child of a lack of self-control. We're going to look at Samson. And so if there was a guy in the Bible who completely lacked self-control, it was Samson. Uh, so we're going to look at that today. So what is self-control? Well, there's three areas of our life. Self-control, when the Bible speaks of self-control, it's talking about our will. You know, It's talking about our impulses, and it's talking about our compulses. Your will needs to be transformed. So what, one of the things that happens with your will, your will is driven by ego. Your impulse is driven by a reaction, and your compulsions oftentimes are, are driven by wounds or traumas. This is how we react as people. When, when you act in a willful way, a lot of times in a way that's not correct, you're, you're operating out of ego. That person pulls a knife on you, you pull a gun, right? They, they, uh, you know, they hit your car, you kill their dog. I mean, something like that, you know, the Chicago way. You act willful, and you're acting out of ego. Uh, impulse is reactionary. Somebody offends you, so you just fire off a few texts. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? You know, that's a, oftentimes a lack of self-control. Anybody ever done that? Made Facebook posts or emails or like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. You know, or left a voicemail. <laughs> Movies about that where they're trying to go, uh, Seinfeld or something, where he's going there and trying to erase her email because he left this crazy email in her, or, or uh, uh, voicemail. Yeah. Uh, so your, well, your will has to be changed. Your impulses have to be trained. And your, your uh, compulsions have to be healed. What's a compulsion? A compulsion is when you're driven to do something and you don't know why. That's a compulsion. You're driven towards something and you don't really know why. And oftentimes with compulsions, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today, but because um, the other two are a lot more manageable than compulsions. Compulsions, you have to heal it. But your will can be changed and your impulses can be trained. You can change your will. You can determine to do something differently with your will. And you can train your impulses that you're not going to act that way anymore. I'm not going to... Uh, Abraham Lincoln, I think, he would write all of these sort of disparaging letters to people that he wasn't happy with. And he would always put them in a drawer. He wouldn't even mail them. And so when Lincoln died, he had stacks of letters that he had written, like corrections and rebukes and all these different things to people that he never mailed. Scathing letters in some cases. But, you know, so he kind of vented, but he didn't actually follow the impulse to actually mail it or send it out. So those are the areas. Our will can be changed. Our impulses can be trained. We can do this. And we're going to look at Judges. Judges, um, so the story of Samson, four chapters of the Bible are given to this guy, three and a half at least. So Judges 13 through mostly uh, through 16 and a little bit of 17 is the story of Samson. And so here's this guy. We're gonna, I'm going to talk a little bit about Samson, and we're going to set the context into which Samson's born. Because a lot of times if you don't understand the context, 
that's, of what's taking place, the atmosphere or the time period that he's in, you don't understand a lot of the things that are going on or why this is happening or what, what's, what the transactions are that's going on there. So Samson was born with a destiny over his life. Angel of the Lord appeared to his mom and dad. And um, uh, the story's in the book of Judges. And I was talking to my wife about this. And I was telling her, actually, a better word for the book of Judges would be deliverers because they weren't really judges. They were deliverers. And their whole role in the life of Israel was to deliver Israel from their enemies. And so Samson was a deliverer. And God shows up and meets with his wife and tells her, you're going to have a son. And this son that you're going to have is to be consecrated to me. He's to be set apart because I'm going to use him. I'm going to use him to affect change in the nation. I'm going to use him to affect change in the greater world around him. So therefore, he has to be set apart to me. And so this happened. And... Uh, when she had the baby, uh, the baby shined like the sun, so they called him Samson, which means the beam, beams like the sun. That's his name. That's what it means. He was born with a proclaimed destiny over him, and he was called to live from another culture. Right? So we have, you're going to see three cultures going on here uh, in the story of Samson. You're going to see the Philistine or the world culture going on. You're going to see the existing culture within God's people, and you're going to see what God actually called him towards. And Samson could never make the turn into what God called him to. He got lost in, in, in the cultures. He got lost between the other two cultures that were interfering with what God wanted for him. And so there's a lot to learn from this. Uh, God, the Lord told him he was to touch nothing dead. He was to have no wine nor cut his hair. What was the deal? The basic story here wasn't, was that God was telling him that you're not to take anything that's corrupted. So something that's dead is corrupted, Right? Wine is created when grapes are corrupted, right? And that was the whole idea. But his hair was a symbol of his being set apart. It was an outward symbol of his sanctification or his consecration to God. And so the hair, say, what did the hair have to do with anything corrupted? Well, the hair represented his consecration. It was an outward witness of who he actually was. And he had beautiful hair and woven into seven braids. Yeah, it's seven braids. you imagine that? Seven braids. Buff dude, glistening. That's what I told my wife. I said beaming, but Samson was glistening, man. He was like, yeah, what's up? And he had seven braids in his hair. And what was the purpose of the seven braids? Seven braids were to remind him that his power and his strength came from the Holy Spirit. The right? Bible says the seven manifold uh, spirits of God. Say, is there seven spirits of God? No, there are seven aspects of the Holy Spirit. So Isaiah talks about the Holy Spirit, and the Revelation says the same thing, the seven spirits of God. It's one spirit, but it's a different manifestation. It's like the facets of a diamond. There's a diamond, but you have different facets as you move around the diamond. You see it from different directions. And the seven, quote, spirits of God, as the Bible references them, is the seven ways in which the Spirit makes himself known. And say, what are those? Well, the first one is presence, the Spirit of the Lord. So the first, the first uh, aspect of the Holy Spirit is presence. Right? It's the first aspect. Then the other one is wisdom. Another one would be wisdom. Then it would be counsel, which can be translated strategy. So the Spirit of God will manifest himself to you and make himself known to you and through you through the presence. So you sense his presence. He will give you wisdom. He will give you counsel and strategy. Another way the Spirit manifests is through power and victory. Right? That's how he does he manifests, and that's one of the things he does with Jesus, is he manifests into our lives the victory that Jesus has won for us. It's how he manifests the believer's inheritance, is he's bringing forth the might and the power of what Jesus has done, and he's bringing forth the victory that Jesus has given us, if we'll let him. 
Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will not testify of himself. He will testify of me. He will take from what is mine, and he will make it known to you. But before he said that, Jesus said, everything is mine. (laughs) Everything the Father has has been given to me. All that everything is mine. And the Spirit of God, when he comes, he's going to take from what is mine, and he's going to give it to you. He's going to manifest the victory that I have won for you. So it's the power, it's the Spirit who manifests himself through power and victory. He manifests himself through understanding. And you can translate that word clarity. You need clarity? Holy Spirit will give you clarity. You need to be clear on what to do? He'll give you clarity. Right? You need to be, have an understanding like, I don't understand what's going on here. Or I need to understand this person or I need to understand this situation. Holy Spirit will do that for you. It's what he promises. This is one of the aspects that he does. Knowledge, which you can translate this as skill. You need skill? Holy Spirit will give you skill. You need an upgrade? He'll give you an upgrade. The Bible tells us that when Moses was making the tabernacle, they didn't have a clue what they were doing. They'd never worked with metal before. These are a bunch of brick makers, man. They've been making bricks for 400 years in Egypt. It says when they came out of Egypt, God endowed them with supernatural skills and ability. They suddenly could play the harp. Like, what in the heck is going on here? Right? They were able to work with gold. They were able to work with things that they had never been able to work with. Uh, anybody know One Republic? Yes. Anyone? Yes. yes. <laughs> she, she knows because I've told her this story before. <laughs> I was, Diana's trying to learn the keys, and I was telling her, I said, you need to have the faith of that guy from One Republic. And uh, he didn't know how to play the piano. He only knew how to tinker a little bit, right? And he just knew how to, like, tinker 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 and so he was playing and uh his parents were missionaries so you know he doesn't say this because it's like a secular interview but you know because he's hedging but you know that's all he had to say oh my parents were missionaries i was like oh okay holy spirit's in here somewhere because they're you know whatever and so he said he was playing the piano and he said just one day all of a sudden he just broke through and he learned chords that he he played this guy's a prolific songwriter it just just it, it just he said it just came to me You know, so there was a dormant, latent ability that he had. And as as he began to kind of do this and just started searching through it, he just broke through. He he gained an ability that he didn't have. I mean, I know from my own personal experience, which is very limited in that, I didn't break through and like, oh, I'm a concerto, you know. (laughs) But I knew when I was in construction and I was young and I didn't have uh, any any uh, fallback position. It was make it or it's going to break you. So I knew that I had to get from point A to point B pretty quickly. And the field that I was in, I kind of looked at it and said, how do I get there? And I realized there were certain things that I needed to know and I didn't know them. And so I just began to ask the Lord. I said, you're the master builder. This is naivety of faith, but I still use it all the time. It's just childlike faith. I said, God, you built everything. Teach me how to build. And I was able to do things at an age that I shouldn't have been able to do them, right? And I was entrusted with things that I should, you know, I, I, the, biggest, the big story, the grand story. I was 21 years old, and I had blueprints like that thick uh, on an IBM job up in Boca Raton. I mean, I did several jobs like that, but the biggest one I ever did was um, IBM. I was 21. I mean, I wasn't running the cruise, but I was running, I was running the layout, and I was laying everything out, and, you know, I was doing the, all of that. You know, square in the building, working with the architect, working with, the, you know, all those guys. I'm like 21 years old. They're like, you? You're the lead man? I'd be like, yeah, man, what's going on? I mean, I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, yeah, it's me. They told me to do the job. I'm doing the job, you know, and they couldn't believe it. And, you know, so it was just pretty crazy. But I knew that God gave me that ability. He gave me like an upgrade. And so like I experienced that. I was able to do something that I wasn't able to do before. 
And that's one of the things that the Holy Spirit will give you. Knowledge and skill. Where's your faith, Christian? Put faith on it. Believe God. You don't have insight into something? Ask him. Lord, I need insight. Some of you are musicians. Some of you are songwriters. Don't settle with where you are. Believe God for an upgrade. Music comes from him. He's the greatest musician of all. Right? Music surrounds him. You want a new song? The Lord's got plenty of new songs. You want a new ability? He's got plenty of, plenty of it. Whatever it is, God is the master of it, and he can give you supernatural upgrades. Into business, God's all about commerce. He understands commerce. He's all about ideas and concepts. He'll give you vision. He'll give you revelation. just depends on what you're looking for him, what you're looking at him for, and why you're looking at him that way. And the last one is honor. It's translated fear of the Lord, but it actually re- re- the, that word is actually honor or uh, reverence. And so the Holy Spirit comes, and one of the ways he manifests to us is with honor. He not only honors us, but he manifests the honor of the Father. Father glorifies the Son, Son glorifies the Father, Father, Son glorifies the Spirit, Spirit glorifies the Son. It's just this constant cycle. And so the Holy Spirit manifests the honor that exists within the Godhead. So, but Samson's braids were related for a reminder, not just a witness and a testimony to the world around it, but, yo, dude, your power comes from the Holy Spirit. Your power doesn't come from you. Your good looks, your stature, your glistening biceps. (laughs) Samson was oiled and tanned. That's how I see him. Buff, oiled and tanned. And a ladies' man. That's how I see him. And so we're called to live from another thing. So one of the things is is that God called him and consecrated. I just want you to say this. Consecration Consecration matters. matters. Right? So consecration means you belong to me. You belong to me. You don't belong to anybody else. You belong to me. And all the ladies that are married said, that's right, amen. That's right. When your, your husband belongs to you, she belongs to you. The man, she, your wife belongs to you. You belong to her. You're consecrated to one another. That's how God relates to us. He's like, you don't belong to anybody else. You belong to me. So stop sharing the love all over town. You belong to me. I obligate myself to you, and I want your full obligation back to me. I want your love. I want your honor. I want, you know, this is how it works. Second Corinthians, this is Paul. He kind of com- combines Jeremiah and Isaiah in these verses. He says, I will dwell with them, and I will walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. What an honor, right? So the Lord immediately says, listen, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to obligate myself to you, and I'm going to give myself to you. You will be mine, and I will be yours. That's what he says. Therefore, because this is the nature of our relationship, because I belong to you, and you belong to me. Somebody's a song, I belong to you, and you belong to me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. That is a song. Anyway, therefore, come out from among them. Yeah, stop singing secular songs, Kevin. Come out from among them. Therefore, come out from among them, because this is the way the relationship is. Be separate from their culture. Come out from that culture. Don't live according to that culture. That's what really separation looks like to the Christian. It's not smoking, drinking, and chewing, and hanging out with those that are doing. It's operating from a different cultural standpoint. It's operating from a different cultural mindset. That's what it means. It's not these external management issues. It's that we live from a different culture. We think and behave and perceive and respond differently from the world around us. 
even church culture. Come out from their culture, says the Lord. Have nothing to do with what is unclean, and I will embrace you. And here's the father. I will be, fa- I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. Our obligation to our father is in that consecration. He obligates himself to us. We obligate ourselves back to him. That's what it looks like. There was a cultural problem in Samson's day. This is important to understand. And you're going to see, like, where did Samson, what, what caused Samson? Well, Samson acted on all selfish impulses and will. That's why self-control is the issue here. But he was influenced greatly by the culture in which he grew up with. So he grew up in, in two cultures. There was the worldly culture, which was the culture of the Philistines. So you have the Philistine culture that he, he's, that's around him. That would be like the worldly culture. And then he had the culture that existed among God's people during the day. And the culture that, God, that, that, the culture that existed among God's people was not the culture that God wanted Okay, this is important. What was going on in the culture of God's people? There was a lot of ignorance because there was neglect. The priests neglected the ministry, right? So there was no teaching of the word. If you read even the book of Judges or that period of Israel's history, it doesn't turn around until Samson. Samson is like the watershed moment when the nation shifts, what's going on is the priests were neglecting their ministry. They were lazy. They weren't doing what they wanted. You see a lot of corruption with the priests, even with Sam, Samuel. Samuel, when, he, uh, when Samuel went into Eli, God placed him with Eli. Sa- Eli's sons were corrupted. They were operate. This is the high priest's sons, not just the everyday priests that ministered to the people. Right? There was a priesthood. You know? So the, the high priest, his sons were corrupted. They were, like, sleeping with women in the, the line, you know? Like, hey, girl, what's up? Yeah, yeah, I could, you know, I could do some spiritual favors for you. Yeah, I'd love to lay hands on you. That would be wonderful. I'd just, like, why don't we, you know? They were doing stuff like that. Then people would come. Come on, you can laugh. It's all right. <laughs> it's like, you just talked about consecration. Now we're supposed to laugh at that joke? I don't know. But anyway, um, uh, they, they would offer offerings to the Lord, and these priests would take the best offerings. You know, there were portions that were to be given to the Lord, first and best. And the priest would go, why are we giving it to Jesus? You know, that should come home with me. I like brisket more than the Lord does, so I'm going to take that home. You know, they were doing stuff like that. And so the, there was a lot of corruption among the priesthood. There was neglect for spiritual understanding. Spiritual understanding was not being given to the people. That is probably the biggest problem. That's what produced all of the other social ills was because the spiritual teaching was not being brought correctly, if at all, to the people. There was no vision. The Bible says that the vision in the word of God, so vision and prophetic word, was rare in those days. Why was vision and prophetic word rare? Well, it's the Old Testament. No, nobody was asking for it. They weren't asking, so the Lord wasn't speaking. Do you know that? If you don't ask, he doesn't speak. It's true find it all through scripture even with Jesus you don't see if they don't ask a question he doesn't explain a thing read when Jesus speaks and when the disciples don't ask we're left lingering in this moment like what did he mean but when they did ask him a question Jesus responded to the question so he'll lay it out there and if you're not asking for vision and you're not asking for revelation you're not asking for counsel the Lord's not he just doesn't do it he doesn't impose himself if you don't want it I don't give it That's what hunger matters so greatly in spiritual context. It matters a lot. You have to hunger for it. You have to want it. Honor creates access. If you don't honor it, if you don't want it, he's not laying out trinkets for us people. 
We have an inheritance. Yes, this is true. But if you want the deeper things of God and you want the more meaningful things of God, you have to desire it. And one of the ways you desire it is by asking, inquiring, seeking, asking, seeking, knocking. And so there was a lot of ignorance because the people weren't being taught. Nobody was saying, hey, go higher. Hey, call on the Lord. There was no invocations of faith whatsoever. Everybody was just kind of living day to day. There was no vision. There was no word. And no one cared. The people had settled into a meaningless existence, and all activity became religious, not relational. That's what happened. Church became religious, not relational. Right? And what happened is, is that uh, there was a lack of value for the Lord's presence. So here we have, this, we have this issue with the Lord. This is what he offers to us when we come to him. This is the, see, God is so generous. The Lord is so, like, he, it's like people are like, well, God wants something. He doesn't want anything from you. He doesn't want anything from you. He wants everything for you. And when he asks you for something, it's only to get you out of the way so that he can give you more. You know that? When he asks you for worship, it's to get you out of you so that he can get him into you. He wants you to empty yourself of you. Everything he asks you for is merely for that intent. He's not asking you for something because he needs anything. He doesn't need anything. God is love, right? And what love wants to do is love wants to give. Love wants to express Love, come on, ladies, you're going to help me out with this. Women get this. Guys are kind of like, yeah, love, kind of. We get it, but there's, women have a finer tune to this for some reason more than men do. I'm not saying men don't, so don't come up and go, I know about love, Pastor. I cried at the movie Rocky. I know, I know about love. I feel I have emotion. You know? <laughs> but women, what, what, what happens is love has to find an object of expression, Right? You have to find, when love has an object of expression, it pours itself towards it. That's what love does. Look at women with children. Look at women in their marriages. You know, like you see this love, and I'm not saying guys don't love, but you just see a more meaningful expression of that, like that, that depth of love that, that, that women by nature express. I, I, look, I've been married a long time. My wife can outlove me. I'm just going to tell you that. She can outlove me. I like, I look and I, I love her and she's like, oh, you love me. But then she loves me back and I'm like, wow, I don't know if I can match that level. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on, guys, help me out, man. You know, I don't know if y'all are here, but it's like, you know, she, she hits me at a level that I don't think I can match. And she does it naturally. So, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, you're good with this? She's like, oh, yes, that's so meaningful, the love that you give me. And then I'm thinking, you give me that? I'm kind of like, wow, I don't know. You know, I'm like, all right, that's all good. You know, I think... Because I'm giving everything I got, man. It's all I got. I'm giving everything I got. But God's love for you is to give to you. His love is to not keep anything from you, but to give himself. And he offers to us his presence, his power, his provision, and his protection. And do you know what? Most Christians are only satisfied with two of those. Most Christians only want his provision and his protection. Yeah, absolutely true. And they don't want his presence. Oh, they, uh, we worship and we want his presence so that we can feel better. But we want his hand more than we want his face. We want him to move in our life more than we want him for who he is. You understand? That's what his presence is. Lord, you're beautiful. All day, every day, it's all about you, Jesus. That's, that's, that's the idea. That's the understanding. And forget power, you know. So, but Christians, we acclimate easily to his power, his provision, and we acclimate easy to his protection. Lord, deliver me. Lord, protect me. We're all in. Lord, provide for me. Lord, take care of me. Lord, give me that million-dollar grant. Boom, we're all in. For protection and provision, we're all in. But presence, 
meaningful intimacy, meaningful expression, learning him, communing with him, walking with him, engaging him, weaving yourself and allowing his heart to be woven into yours? Oh, I don't know about that, you know. And then we talk about power. Good heavens. What happened? We lost power, man. It's like, we don't care about power. It's another thing. But God offers us these things. He's willing to obligate himself to us. He's willing to give himself. What happened? Israel pushed away from his power, and they pushed away from his presence. This is exactly what happened in Israel. They didn't want his power, and they didn't want his presence. They had no value for it. And so there was silence in the land. And Israel's worship revolved around the temple and the tabernacle. All the way up until they destroyed the temple in AD 70. It was this is exactly what Jesus was confronting, and this is exactly what's going on here. They worshiped, they, it was all about the temple and the tabernacle. We have the temple, we have the tabernacle. That's why Jesus said, Do you, you think this building matters? You know? I tell you, if you tear it down, I can build it up in three days. He's like, This isn't what matters. And everything that they were worshiping, even in the time of the New Testament, was about the temple, the priesthood, okay, and the nation. That was the three revolving pillars that these guys worshipped. And what they, what they missed was it wasn't about the temple or the tabernacle. It was about the temple and what the building represented or who the building represented. It wasn't about the building. It was about whose presence abided in the building. That's what, that was what they missed. It wasn't about the priesthood. It was about the one who was ministering to them through the priesthood. It wasn't about liturgy. They were all about doing their religious rites and checking all their boxes and making sure that they did all their sacramental offerings. It wasn't about the nation. It was about whom and who abided within the nation. They missed the presence, right? They missed it. And so because of this, this is the context in which God is bringing forth Samson. God cares more about them than they care about themselves. We don't get any indication in, no, in Judges. In other parts of the Bible, they're calling out to the Lord. Lord, Lord, Lord. The Lord's looking at him and going, man, if I don't do something, these people are surely going to self-destruct. And so the Lord is intervening on their behalf. He's bringing a deliverer, right? He's bringing to them someone that they aren't even looking for. God's going to say, look, I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And so he shows up and tells Manoah's wife, he says, hey, I'm going to give you a son. And you're going to consecrate him to me. And he's going to belong to me. You know, and I'm going to use him mightily. And it says this, and it judges, so this gives you the context. In Judges 17, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone, say it with me, everyone, everyone. did what was right in their own eyes. This is exactly what Samson was raised in. Samson is raised in a spiritual, get it, spiritual climate where everybody was making it up as they went along. It wasn't a culture of worldliness. It was the spiritual culture where everybody was doing whatever they wanted. Whatever seemed right. Yeah, that seems good. Yeah. You know, endorsing things and supporting things and doing whatever was right in their own eyes. And while that didn't lead to, like, complete destruction of the nation, it totally led to a complete absence of God's presence. And that was what's going on. So Samson does everything according to his own eyes. You follow the story of Samson, every single thing he does is what he thinks is best. Every single thing. He only calls on the Lord twice. So here, let me, let's get this straight. This dude is born. Can you imagine you're born? You know, we're braiding your hair. Your son's born. And the whole life, you're grooming him. Boom, man, God's got a call on your life. You were born. An angel appeared when you were born. The angel stepped into the fire when he... That's one of the coolest stories in the Bible. 
because the angel comes, announces that Samson's going to be born. And, and again, they make an offering. They made an offering. Honor. They honored the, they honored the message. And so they laid, the, they, laid, they laid an offering out before the Lord. And the flame went up. And the Bible says that he stepped into the flame and rose with the flame. That would be so freaking cool, man. He went up with the fire. I'd be like, what? That's crazy. An angel went up in the fire when you were born, Samson, and we're braiding your hair to let you know that your power is of the Holy Spirit. We're braiding your hair to let you know that you are a deliverer of God's people, and he's going to throw off the yoke of the enemy, and he's going to use you to do it. His whole life he's trained that way. At least you would think he would be, but everything he did was right in his own eyes. Everything he did was impulsive and compulsive. No self-control whatsoever. He was born to be a deliverer. He was born to bring victory. He only calls on, God. He only calls on the Lord twice. Two times. <laughs> One after he wins a victory and he goes, you gave me this victory? Are you trying to let me die of thirst? And the Lord provided him water. And then the second time was at the end of his life when he was between two pillars. He called on the Lord. The only two times in the Bible you see him calling on the Lord. If you contrast the story of Gideon, Gideon was completely dependent upon the Lord. You know, completely. Gideon's like, okay, so let me get this straight. This is what you're telling me to do? The Lord's like, yeah, that's what I'm telling you to do. Okay, can you prove it to me? Yeah, okay, what do you need? I need this. Can you prove that? Yeah, okay. Well, can we do it one more time? Yeah, we got that. Can I give you an offering and you prove it with the offering? Yeah, we'll do that. You know, Gideon was constantly asking for instruction. And God was doing these supernatural, crazy out-of-the-box things with Gideon. And you see Samson, and you say, well, God was working through Samson. Yeah, God can use your stupidity. Yeah. Say with me, Jesus, Jesus can use your stupidity. Jesus. Can use my stupidity. Say that. Jesus can use my stupidity. <laughs> he prefers not to, <laughs> but he will use your stupidity if necessary. His desire is that it goes through communion. Like all the stuff that Samson did was impulsive, and everything he did that was impulsive had negative consequences. Every single thing he did. You know, Gideon, you see the contrast. He was self-reliant, total lack of kingdom understanding, and he was a product of his culture, product of the religious culture that he was raised in. We are not called Christian. This is what will transform and renew and bring about a glorious church that's never been. There's the church that's never fully integrated. I don't believe, I mean, in the, early, in the beginning, the, the, the early church was integrated into kingdom culture because it was so new. But over the time, our churches have become very, very religious, very, very static, very, very much so. And we integrate and we create cultures within our churches that are not kingdom culture. Churches, cultures within our churches are oftentimes personal preferences. That's all they are. We sprinkle, you know, we dunk. Well, we make you turn around three times before we dunk you. You know, you got to go through six weeks of a class before we dunk you. You know, every, everything's got personal attachments to it. Or, you know, we, we create cultures within the church. Everybody here wears a suit and tie, bless God. Hair high and tight, this is the way we do it. All the women have long hair, don't wear makeup. They look like they just shot off a wagon train, but we're all good. You know, those, those, are, not, those are cultures within the churches that are not necessarily kingdom culture. They don't reflect his culture. Most of that stuff is personal preferences. Listen, Jesus' culture is way more beautiful than anything we can ever come up with. What happens is, is that his culture is a bit risky for us because his culture is not our culture, you see. And we have to learn a new culture. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We have to think and see differently. We have to respond differently. So Samson was a product of a culture where everybody was doing whatever they wanted. You see it now. It's sad to say. You see it a lot. 
A lot of times, man, some of these younger pastors, it's difficult, man. I don't like saying it, but it's true. There's a total lack of consecration, a total lack of consecration. You know, you can't control what the people do. Let's just be clear, you know. Like, people are going to do what people are going to do. That's just the way it is. But that's never, that my responsibility, I, I, look, I, I got crazy junk in my life. I got to deal with myself. I am responsible to consecrate myself, but I'm also responsible to present the message as Jesus wants it presented. <laughs> not as I want to teach it, but as he wants it taught, right? It's not hearer-centric, it's author-centric, right? So when we teach the scripture, it's not what the itching ears of the people want to hear. It's exactly what God talked about in the last days. This is what's going to happen. The teachers are going to be t- listener-centric. They're going to want, not want to say something that ticks people off. They're not going to want to say something that's offensive. And when you do that, you compromise the one who wants his word said. So we teach what God wants, not necessarily what people want to hear. That's where Paul's telling Timothy, be faithful, preach the word, be instant in season and not in in, and out. In the final days, people won't tolerate sound doctrine. They won't tolerate what God wants to say. They're going to want what they want. They're going to want what's culturally relevant. They're going to want what's culturally acceptable. They're not going to want to hear what the kingdom wants to say. That's the difference. So God's expectation upon the leader and upon the pastors and upon our churches is that not that we're hearer-centric, but that we're author-centric, that we speak from the heart of our Father unto his sons and daughters. This is your Father. This is who he is, and this is what he wants for you, and this is what he has for you, and this is what he's calling you towards. It's a whole different than teaching you what you want to hear and talking about you and what God, God's all about you. It has nothing to do with you. It's all about him, right? It's all about him. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and everything will come to you. It has nothing to do with you. You're not even in the equation. You get that? So Christian's like, well, if I seek first God's kingdom and everything that's right to him, well, what about me? What about me? That's our first inclination because we're Americans. So we do. That's our first thing. We're me, 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 me. Glorious me. And our churches become me-centric. Me-centric. Is it cool enough in here for you? Did the chair, was, it, was the message too long? You know, did I, did, was anything, you know, is, is it okay? Was the music too loud? <laughs> it's centric. I'm not saying we shouldn't be respectful of people. That's not what I'm saying. But everything becomes listener-centric. That's, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to be a mature Christian, that is not the way God designed his word. That is not what your father expects. He's not expecting you to to go there with itching ears. He's expecting you to go and say, what is the heart of my father? I want my father's heart. I choose David. Why? Because he's a man after what? Come on. Oh, exactly. He's a man who has itching ears, who waits for me to say whatever I want to say about him. No, he's a man who wants my heart. This is what God wants from us, sons and daughters that want his heart. Consecration matters. Samson said to himself, the rules don't apply to me. <laughs> I'm glistening. I'm golden. I'm bronze. I'm tan. I got seven braids in my hair. I can do whatever I want. And just because Samson didn't see any immediate consequences to his actions, he perceived God was in favor of it. <laughs> There's always consequences to negative actions. So what happens? And so that's the, the, or we think, oh, God doesn't care. God, does, God approves. That's not necessarily the point. He, he's not doing that at all. So he was radiant. Samson was reactionary, did everything out of his looks and his natural ability. My wife has a term for it, the Adonis syndrome. You know? So she's like, she's like, it's like the Adonis syndrome. Like, 
look at me, how beautiful I am, how much I'm, I'm handsome and whatever. He takes those, so here's, Sam, here's the journey of Samson's life, right? First thing is out of the gate. Our introduction to Samson is he says, I've seen a wife of the Philistines, and he tells his dad, go get her for me because she is right in my eyes. <laughs> Off the rip, the brother's in town looking at the worldly women. Off the rip. Consecrated to the Lord, dedicated to the Lord, but looking for love in all the wrong places, right? Looking for godless women or the, gods of, or the wives of, the, of, of his enemy's people, yeah? And his father says to him, are you crazy? You can't find a wife from all of the people of your fathers of your household. All of the people of, of the Israelites. You can't find a wife. you got to go to Timnah and find the wife of, of, of the Philistines. Deuteronomy 7.3 told them when he said, listen, do not intermarry. God prohibiting marriage. God doesn't care about my happiness. Wrong. Nor let your daughters marry their sons. Unbelievers. People outside of Christ or without devotion or godlessness. Don't let your sons marry their daughters, because if you do, they will turn your children from me. <laughs> He's telling them, you want your children to walk with me? Well, your, your odds of success are much higher if they marry someone in the faith. If you don't allow them to marry in the faith, they're going to be drawn away from me. So true. And so God wasn't, God wasn't limiting them. He was trying to protect them. And that's exactly what happened to Samson. Samson lost everything. Solomon did the same thing. Solomon wouldn't heed the advice either. So here's the deal. God's called out, God's called out uh, Samson. He's got Samson on a thing. Where he's consecrated the Lord. Where do we find Samson? First of all, he's trolling all the worldly chicks. That's the first thing. He's doing the Instagram search for the hottest babe on the, on, that he can get in touch with. He's DMing them all, right, until he finds the one that's right to him. Then the next place we find him... He's partying with the Philistines. Partying with them, right? Oons, oons, oons. I mean, he's jamming. He's partying with them. Samson has a wine party. Remember, he's supposed to be consecrated from the wine? Isn't that what he said? The Lord told him? He's, he's, and he throws a wine party. And he invites the Philistines. He's, we find him always sitting at the worldly table. Always sitting with worldly princes. That's where we find him. And what is he doing? He's gambling. He's telling them riddles. Hey, I'll bet you you can't beat this riddle that I got. You know, he's doing all this stuff, telling jokes, making riddles in a worldly context. He tells them this story because he killed a lion. He said, out of the eater will come something sweet, and out of the strong, or out of the eater will come something to eat, and out of the strong comes something sweet. So he tore a lion in two. A lion came upon him. The Bible says the Holy Spirit rushed upon him. Right? So he killed the lion. Then he passed by another time, and he saw that there were bees inside the, inside the lion, and he ate the honey that was in the lion, and he took some home to his household. And so he's telling them this story, and he's telling them a riddle, saying, you know, if you guys can solve this riddle, I'll, uh, you know, I'll pay you money. But if you can't, then you got to pay me money. So at the wine party, mind you. <laughs> spiritually strong, but spiritually blind. Physically strong, but morally weak. That's what happens. And they put pressure on his, on his wife, and his wife basically goes and cries to him, the, the first wife. <laughs> and, and the wife goes and cries to him, and she, he tells him what the riddle means. And then, of course, they, they go and they tell Samson, and he knew that there's no way that you would have known this if my wife hadn't told you. If you had not plowed with my heifer, that's what he said, you would never have known this. 
And so he gets angry. So here again, here's his impulsiveness. So he feels like his wife betrays him. And so Samson goes on a rampage, doesn't consult the Lord. There's nowhere in here where he consults the Lord. This is the fatal flaw. He goes on a rampage, goes and kills 30 Philistines, takes their money, takes their garments, and goes and pays off his debt. Just goes on a rage fest. <laughs> goes unhinged. Then he gets, and he's also having an unhinged rage fest. He sends his wife home to be with her father. He just dismisses her and says, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Well, a few weeks later, he shows up at, his, at her dad's door with a lamb. And he's ready for a booty call. That's what happens. Now, that's what the Bible says. You're like, oh, you do all, you do all this. It's a consecrated message, Kevin. You can't be using the word booty call. Well, that's what he said. He knocked on this father's in-law's door, and he's got a lamb. And he said, hey, I brought this to my wife. You know, I'm here to have sex with her. That's what he said, literally. I'm here to have relations, sexual relations with my wife. And the father looks at him and said, we thought you hated her. You dismissed her and sent her home. We married her off to an honorable other, right? We gave her to your best man, which highly likely Samson's best man was a Philistine, right? So she married her off. They, mar they had already married her off by the time Samson come. Again, goes into a rage fest. What's he do? Unhinged. Doesn't ask the Lord, Lord, what do I do? What's your counsel here? He burns all of the crops to the ground. Everybody's field. Samson's just like, that's it. I'm torching everything. I'm burning it all to the ground. You offended me. I'm burning my house down. I'm divorcing you. I'm destroying everything we've built. I'm burning it down because somebody's ticked me off. That's what men do. Total lack of self-control. Go into these rage fests. Unhinged. Unthinking moments. Reactionary. Kingdom can't work in that environment. As you see, the Lord wasn't even trying to impose himself. He's just like, well, you know, the brother doesn't have any self-control, so until he gets a little bit of self-control, I can't even have a conversation with him. That's basically it. Because the, the kingdom cannot manifest in that environment. So he goes there, and he burns the Philistine fields because he was offended. And then what happens? The Philistines go and burn his wife and her father. They find out Samson did it, and they're like, oh, Samson did that? You burn our fields? They, they thought, well, she's married to her. This is her father. They burned her, they burned her and her father inside the house. It was like this just vengeance. And then Samson goes, oh, you're going to burn my wife and, and her fa my father-in-law in the house? Okay, I'm going to get a jawbone of a donkey, and I'm going to go on another rage fest. And so he went on a rage fest again, killing and slaying all of these Philistines, going for it. He slaughters a bunch of Philistines with the jawbones of a donkey, right? This is the first Friday night smackdown. If this was on pay-per-view, you would be paying $29.95. <laughs> I would. What? What? Jim Sampson faces an unlimited host of Philistines, taking them on in a cage match with nothing more than the jawbone of an ass. I'm like, where's my card? Honey, give me the card. Give me the credit card. Give me the credit card. <laughs> we have got to see this. Get the DVR ready. We need to record this. So after he wins this victory, this, this is Samson's life. So seeing all the impulsiveness, the lack of self-control, right? So after he wins this victory, you know how he celebrates? Ready? He goes to a Philistine prostitute. Whew, that took a lot out of me. Whew, yeah, what am I going to do now? Oh, I know. I'm going to go to see a Philistine prostitute. And that's where he went. <laughs> Hero of the faith. Bible's real, people. It puts it in real time. That's why you know no, no man wrote this book. Because no man would put that, that would allow that story to be out there. They're like, no way. And the Lord's like, yeah, this is the guy I used. This guy right here. Yeah, this guy right here. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah completely unhinged. 
unable to to do self-control. Look what I was able to do with him without self-control. Imagine what I could have done with him if he actually had any. If he actually was willing to mind his will. If he was actually willing to control his impulses. Compulsions are another story, but you can control your will and you can control your impulses. You don't need to be reactionary. You can stick a stick in your mouth and bite on it. You don't need to say that everything. So God just tells it like it is. So he goes and celebrates, and he's with, he's with the prostitutes. And the Philistines find out that he's with the prostitutes, and they send all these men to surround him. <laughs> and in the middle of the night, he gets up and removes the gates from the city and leaves, right? And so like my wife's saying, he had no conscious of his morality. He had no consciousness of being moral, right? But he was always willing to demonstrate his strength. He was always ready to demonstrate, you know, what he could do, who he was. And so he took the gates of the city, and he took them off the hinge, Literally, he was unhinged. And so late, then, right, then shortly after that, he meets the wonderful Delilah. Everybody say it with me. The player is about to get played. That's right. The player is about to get played. Samson was a consumer of people, used everybody for his own fortune, everybody at his own expense. Samson was not a communer. He was a consumer. He even used God for his own purposes. But you can't use the Lord because the Lord, I mean, you just, you, it's like, Lord's like, you're, like, you're going to get one over on me? I don't think so. But he saw God in that light. God's for me. You know, I'm not for God. God is for me. That's, again, that's the cultural context of the American church. Listen to the messages. God's for you, not you're for God. It's such a nuanceable thing, but it's very powerful when you understand it. You belong to him, right? Yes, he belongs to you, but you belong to him. It's not him for you. It's you for him. And in the process of you for him, he becomes for you. It's this symbiotic relationship. It doesn't work the other way around. It's not do anything you want and God's going to be for you. It doesn't work like that, guys. It doesn't work like that. And we have to understand this. We have to understand how this works and the way that it works. And so that's how he perceived it. He perceived everything related back to himself. He consumed everyone. This is what I need. This is what I want. This is what I feel like doing. This is what I'm going to do. This, I don't need to do that. I already have a better idea. That's how he went. And it said, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorak, whose name was Delilah. He loved this woman. So here's the problem. He ends up giving himself to her, right? And this is the only woman that, quote, he says he loved And he loved a woman who could play the game better than he could. Samson was good at playing the game, but she could play it better. And she outplayed him. And he lost a lot. He lost a lot. He began to play around with his giftedness. God had given him an anointing. God had given him a, a, a giftedness. He carried his giftedness. And you can see when Delilah's with him, tell me the secret of your strength. Oh, if you bind me with new ropes, right? you bind me with new robes. Well, before he gets there, I want to share this before he gets there. One of the things that happened in this story is that the Philistines wanted him arrested. So a bunch of Hebrew people went down to arrest him, right? And Samson's like, why are you guys here to arrest me? And they're like, don't you understand? The Philistines are our masters. Why are you trying to free us from our masters? Like total slave mentality among God's people, total diminished mentality among God's people trying to condemn and subdue the one God is using to bring deliverance. Imperfectly, yes. They should have rallied to the guy. Instead, they come to arrest him. (laughs) Is that nuts? Just shows you the context of where God's people were. We have to arrest you, Samson. You're causing problems with our master. We have to submit to our masters. 
We have to bow to our masters. Whatever they tell us to do, we have to do. God never expects that, his people. We bow to one Jesus, one crown. His name is Jesus. We don't bow to anybody. We don't bow to a culture. We don't bow to a kingdom. We don't bow to anyone. We serve the Lord. That's the essence of our faith. That's what makes the church so transformative. We're extremely transformative that way because it's not a religion. It's a living faith. Christ alone, Jesus is king. No, there's no other king. There's no other authority. Is it better to obey God or is it better to obey men? That's what the apostles ask. You know, if we have to give our lives to obey the Lord, then so be it. Now, now well, that's not going to happen in America, at least not in our generation, I pray. It might, but who knows. But anyway, you know, they were willing. They were not willing to capitulate themselves to any, anyone else. But yet that's what's happening here. And you see why these people are enslaved. You see why there's powerlessness. Because they're, they're willing to risk their lives to go and arrest the, 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 the deliverer. <laughs> The one who's causing trouble for their enemies. Let's condemn the one that causes trouble for the devil. Let's condemn the one that is trying to set the church free. The one that's trying to speak something that actually liberates people. The people of God go, let's subdue him. <laughs> it's nuts, man. When you read this stuff, it's like you're like, what? This is crazy. We don't have a slave mentality, Christian. Jesus is a liberator. And he wants freedom oftentimes more than we do. So Samson plays around with his giftedness. He's got a gift. He's got an anointing. He's got a power. And Delilah's asking him about it. And he's like, what's your secret? Tell me your secret. You know, tell me. I love you. Lie with me. I know. And he's like, if you bind me with new ropes, that'll do it. So they bind him with new ropes. He breaks free. Now, at what point? This happens like three times. Like, at what point? Do you not understand that this woman doesn't have your best interest in mind? Right? She binds you with ropes and hands you over to the enemy. Ha, 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 I'm free. Right? Then he says, if you weave my braids into a loom, I will lose my power. And so they weave his braids into a loom. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Dun, ta, dun. I mean, it's like, dude, really? <laughs> then finally he tells her that the secret of my strength the, the outward, the adornment is the relationship that I have with the Lord. So what it was is Samson, no matter what he did, he always preserved some that, that position of honor. And when he betrayed that, it wasn't that he had a relationship. It's just that he did hold some part of, his relation, of that calling sacred, right? He, didn't, he used it, but he still held it sacred to himself. And he betrayed that. He actually put, put Delilah in a position that was above the Lord in his heart. And he revealed the secret of his heart. And so this is what happens. And so what happened is that they shaved his head. And it was that Samson no longer could achieve the things that he had achieved. And so they, they make him a prisoner. They put his eyes out. It's funny. The guy that was driven by what he saw lost his eyes. Isn't that interesting? Everything that was right in his own eyes. What was the result of living by, the, by what was right in his own eyes? He had lost, he just become blind. And he's grinding in a salt mine. The Philistines put his eyes out, chained him to a wheel, and he spent his life grinding at the wheel. Right? How much do we do when we, when we betray who we really are in Christ? We find ourselves blind and in a place that we were never meant to be. Never meant to be there. The servant of the Lord grinding in a salt mine. The servant of the Lord unable to see. The servant of the Lord completely just incapacitated because of poor choices. Not just one, like a pattern. 
And so they come out and they say, bring Samson out. So the Philistines are having a party. Well, we know Samson likes Philistine parties. You know? So they're like, hey, go to the salt mine and bring that brother out so he can perform for us. doesn't tell us what he was performing, but it does say he's going to perform. So they would make Samson come out and dance like a monkey, you know, or whatever it was they wanted him to do. And, they, and he put his hand on the boy that was leading him, and he said, listen, when you lead me in here, he's like, put me between the two pillars. He's like, put my hands on the pillars, right? So that's what he did. And as Samson's hands went on the pillars, he said, oh, Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray. Watch what happened. Listen, listen to the nature of his prayer. Nothing wrong with this so far. Just this once, O God, I, that I may be able to take a blow of vengeance upon the Philistines who have taken my two eyes. <laughs> you see where again where his focus is? His focus is back on himself. Now contrast that with David. What did David say? Who is this non-covenantial Philistine who blasphemes the armies of the Most High God? David had no concern about it. He wasn't like, who is this guy that blasphemes my family? You know, who is this guy? You know, he had no focus towards himself. His focus was on the honor of the Lord. But Samson's completely the opposite. His feet don't even mention the Lord. He's like, let me avenge those who have taken my eyes, Lord. Let me use you to avenge my own losses. That's what happens. But Jesus never forgot him. Did it happen? Yeah, it happened. Jesus never forgot Samson. This is important to know. The Lord never forgot Samson. Samson never took the time to know him. The Lord never forgot him. Samson, you say, well, Samson forgot Jesus. Jesus didn't forget him. Jesus knew he was in the salt mine. Jesus was probably waiting for him to call on him. How many of you are out there and you think God's forgotten me? And I'm asking you, who, have you called on him? Have you called on the Lord? And have you reached out to him in worship and not in complaint? Have you reached for him in surrender and not in demand? You know, maybe things would change. Have you humbled yourself and presented yourself that way? Have you offered yourself in some form of repentance? I'm sorry for my ego, for my stupidity. You know, you think, well, God's forgotten me. God, the Lord didn't forget Samson. He was just waiting for Samson to call on him, and he pushed the pillars, and down came the pillars. Samson never took the time to really know the Lord. Never took the time, Right? So guys, you got a calling on your life. You have a calling. There's a calling and a mandate over every believer's life. You have it. You have it. You do not have to settle for a diminished life. This is one of the things that invokes the Christian, right? This is why we have a generation. This is why this gener- that generation was settled for a diminished life because they had no one teaching them to go into the things that God wants, right? So the whole generation was that way. But I'm telling you, there's a call on your life. There's, there's a call that God has for you. And what he's asking for you is to develop the intimacy and the relationship with him. He's asking you to do that. That's what he wants. Say it with me. Consecration matters. It matters. Self-will and self-mastery. It matters. You're never going to be perfect. But, you're, but see, the, the, the issue with Samson wasn't that he was imperfect. The issue with Samson was that the consistent pattern of his life was self-will. That was the consistent pattern. It wasn't, you know, 50-50, he's seeking God and then he's not. He's seeking God and then he's not. It was that he never sought the Lord. He never engaged the, the, the things that God that asked him for. He didn't engage in the spirit. That was his problem. Jesus can use your stupidity, but negative consequences always, there are negative consequences for impulsive behaviors. There's this. We must not rely upon our natural giftedness, our abilities to take the anointing for granted. What we've been given is very special to us. The relationship with Jesus is to be valued above everything else. You know, don't sell out who you are. Don't sell out what God has given you. 
Don't trade it. He traded it. He traded it for the favor of a person. We must not rely upon those things. And we also are obligated to develop intimacy with the Lord and to integrate ourselves into his culture. This is a huge piece, right? The church has to integrate ourselves not into a church culture, not into a denomination culture. We definitely got to get, we definitely not to integrate ourselves into the worldly culture. Again, the way that we think, that's, that's what culture is, mindset. Our mindset has to be kingdom mindset. It's not behavior related, it's mindset related. As a person thinks in their heart, so they are, right? You don't have to worry about your behavior if you get your thinking right, if you get your heart right. If your intended heart is matched correctly, the behavior will follow. It's not behavioral management. It's heart direction. That's, that's the issue. Honor, you know, courage. These are the things that matter. And so that's the culture of the kingdom, not trying to, trying to please and honor the Lord. In a world of compromise, Jesus is looking for a few passionate people who will not betray their calling, but will rise to the level of their birth within their generation. That's what he wanted from Samson. That's what he wants from us, right? In a world of compromise, God is looking for these things. He wants people that are passionate. Do you know what the word passion means? You know what it means? Willing to suffer. That's what passion means. (laughs) Compassion means suffer with, right? So when you have compassion, you are willing to suffer. Not suffer like, ah, but you're willing to give certain things up for something that matters to you. When you have a passion for something, music, right? Or what, I don't know, what's your passion? Flying kites, man. You're willing to give up a lot of things so that you can fulfill that passion, aren't you? Because that's your passion. You will find time to fly that kite because that's what you want to do. That's that's what passion means. Passion means I'm willing to suffer loss in order to achieve that. That's why the passion of the Christ, Jesus was willing to suffer everything as loss in order to gain you. That's what it means, right? And so he wants us to be passionate, that we're willing, we want him more than we want anything, even if we really don't even know what that means. We're willing to go for him and what he wants more than anything. That's what he wants in our generation. That's what he's looking for. He can change a nation with that. He can change a world with that. You can change the world, right? You have 12 guys. You have about, what, 300 guys, 300 men in the first early church. They changed the, they changed the known world. It was only a handful of them when it started out, and the Lord used it to change the world. He didn't use it to create a church culture. He didn't use it to create another culture. He, he didn't, he, they, they took the kingdom culture and went with it, and then they expressed the kingdom culture where they went. Healings, restoration, Prophetic, all of the things that are related to the kingdom, entrepreneurship, businesses, all of that, commerce, all of that is kingdom culture, kingdom culture, but not corporate gain or not financial gain for the sake of financial gain, financial gain for the, for the betterment of other people's lives. You know, not just that you don't receive, but it's not all about you. Ah, <laughs> it's all mine. You know, no, it's like it's yours, yes. It's ultimately, it's the Lord, but the God has entrusted it with you and he expects you to do certain things with it. That's, that's what it's about. Amen? Amen? All right, self-mastery. Amen. So I want to speak to the people at home real quick. If you're watching this message and you need anybody here and you've never given your life to Jesus, that's really what it's all about. The Lord gave his life for you in order that you would know him. And on Father's Day, that's an important thing to know because he gave his life that you would know him in order that you could be restored in right relationship to your heavenly Father. You say, well, how do I get that? What does this all, all of this mean? The Bible uses this very distinctly, and it doesn't stutter. It says that we all have a problem, and it's called sin. All have sinned 
and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah says it this way, all we like sheep have gone astray. All we have gone the way of ourselves, just like Samson. That's what sin does, is it drives us the way of ourselves. And the Bible says that when Jesus came, the Lord laid upon him the iniquity or the sin of us all upon Christ. It wasn't the sins of the outward. It was the sin of taking our lives as our own. We took, Adam took his life as his own. He said, this belongs to me. And he didn't want to commune with the Lord. And so it created a separation. And Jesus came to restore. And man's been lost ever since. And Jesus has come to bring restoration to that. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death or eternal separation. But the gift of God through Christ is total forgiveness and restoration. And the way of access, he not only tells us the problem, he offers us the solution, and then he tells us how to give it. He says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has risen from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. A lot of times people think that's too easy. Why is that so easy? Because your heart, there's something about your heart. The willful surrender of your heart brings transformation. So with the heart, one believes, and with the mouth, a confession is made. That's the way the Lord has designed it. And so if you're watching and you've never given your heart to Christ, we're going to pray here together as a family, as a church, and we want to pray with you. And all you got to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. You say, I don't understand it. You don't have to understand it. He didn't say understand it. He said believe. You can believe without understanding. And so just take the risk. You have nothing to lose and everything, you, everything to gain. This is the offer you don't say no to. You don't say no to this offer. It's a once-in-a-lifetime, a once-in-a-lifetime once in a, in a, in a, a offer. So let's pray. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I don't understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a prayer team available over here. We've moved it today because of what's going on Father's Day. If you need prayer for anything, ministry for anything, that's what that team is there for. Please do that. And then I'm going to pray over you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Amen.